Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening, and welcome to tonight's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, the place where you're in the know. I'm Ruben Orduña, Vice President of Development and Donor Services at the San Francisco Foundation and your chair for tonight's program. This program is supported by the Bay Area Leads Fund and is part of the Foundation's series on people, place, and power, addressing access and equity in the Bay Area. This special edition of the series is also being presented in association with KQED. Today's program is titled, Still We Rise, A Conversation with Young Leaders. Being a teenager is difficult in the best of times. I think we all know that. Uh, But the universal work of figuring out your identity, your passions, and your path and place in the world can be even more daunting for some. Youth of color, immigrants, LGBTQ community members, and those with disabilities or in low-income households are just some of the populations who face unique challenges. Place those against the backdrop of a Bay Area where inequality is rising, long-time residents are being displaced, and the tech sector literally towers above. And you've got a whole generation grappling with unprecedented questions. So how are young people surviving and thriving in a changing region? What happens when their identities are intersectional and don't fit into a simple narrative? How are they raising awareness on critical issues to change perceptions, influence public policy, and spur civic engagement? And how can we be better listeners? Tonight, Bay Area youth will have taken the stage to tell us how they're addressing questions of representation, activism, and equity as they grow up in this beautiful region of contradictions. It is now my pleasure to introduce our panelists. Um, First, and they changed the order of where they're sitting, so. Uh, First uh, is is Nicholas Brandon Soriano-Smith. He is a senior at Westmore High School in Daly City, and he just graduated yesterday. He identifies as biracial Filipino-American and serves as one of KQED's youth advisory board members. He is a singer-songwriter who is passionate about art and music. Nicholas hopes to better his community and one day provide a voice for those like himself. Next to him is Keskoli Ataka Perez. He's a second-year graphic design major at Laney College in Oakland. He comes from a family of native social justice leaders in the Oglala, Diné, and Ho-Chung nations, and now works as an intern and Native Youth Leadership Council member at Intertribal Friendship House. Kesh is a former... Kesh is a former... Uh, foster youth who is developing skills that build the power, self-determination, and collective voice of Native youth. Next is Kelly Wong. Uh, She is a senior at Abraham Lincoln High School and also a recent graduate. 
her parents immigrated to the U.S. from China, and she was born in San Francisco and raised in the Bayview District. She is a dancer and volunteers as a one-on-one -on -one activity therapist at the Laguna Honda Hospital. This fall, Kelly will begin studying computer science at UC Berkeley. <laughs> Next is Samuel Getacho. He's a junior at Oakland Technical High School. He's also the 2017, 2018, and 2019 Youth Speaks Teen Poetry Slam champion. He's basically the Golden State Warriors of, of that. <laughs> and he is also a co-founder of Oakland Tech's Student Activism Club. And, and finally, our moderator today, Sanait Haile Miriam, excuse me. She's a production coordinator at Bayview Hunters Point Center for Arts and Technology, also known to many of us as Baycat. A digital, uh, a digital media nonprofit. Tonight is a passionate storyteller who joined the media industry with one goal, to help bring more diversity to the stories we tell. At, at Baycat, she, she helps community organizations, small businesses, and local agencies tell their stories. She earned her BA in broadcast and electronic communication arts from San Francisco State University. So please join me and welcome all the panelists as I turn the program over to tonight. Thank you, Ruben. Good evening, everyone. I'm honored to be part of this conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. This week, the internet was um, buzzing about a new report, I don't know if you saw it, um, by an Australian climate change think tank that predicts human civilization will begin to end in 2050. It's about 30 years from now. Regardless if that's even true or not, with news like that coming to you on your smartphone every day, it gets hard not to think about the future. So I'm wondering, do you feel the responsibility for the world you're going to inherit? And if you can think about that, um, if you can remember, when did you first sense that feeling? Anybody? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, I do feel like we're responsible because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, obviously. But, you know, I kind of felt like that after they were saying, like, you know, we only got like 10 more years or something of like, what was it? What, do you remember? Do you, you know what I'm Before talking about? Before climate change is irreversible, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's, that's pretty much what made me think about it. Can you explain what that was, Samuel? I'm not the most educated about this, but um, the... The report I think he's referring to is one that said that in about 10 to 12 years, we will reach a point where the effects of climate change are irreversible and we're going to kind of snowball into uh, an unstoppable kind of crisis. Um, I think the sense of responsibility for me, I think, hit before that. I have been fortunate enough to have had um, a lot of education about climate change, you know, like from elementary school and like in first grade, they already had us with the three separate trash cans, you know, the compost, recycling, landfill, and like telling us about how we needed to stop climate change and like everything um, after that kind of my education had incorporated um, things surrounding climate change into it. And so I think because of that, 
I wasn't able to like, I don't think I'm able to pinpoint an exact moment when I realized, but I think especially recently the, the sense of responsibility has only been magnified because of how much we're hearing about it. And because at the same time, how much news we're receiving about all the people in power that are refusing to take action on it. Um, and I think it's also scary because we spend so much time working, 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 working in high school with this promise of like, you know, you get good grades and you do all your extracurriculars and you get into a good college and one day you'll be able to have a good life and like relax and take a breath. Um, and I think it's kind of hard to want to sit down and work for your future when that future isn't guaranteed. Um, and I think that that, that especially has been magnifying that sense of responsibility lately for me. Does anybody else feel like their future isn't guaranteed? Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, what with the news about like, yeah, climate change being irreversible by 2030 and the report that you, you mentioned, um, it, it, it is feeling like I won't have that like promise of grandchildren and great grandchildren to look forward to. And I won't be able to like prepare my own children for college should I have children because nothing seems really stable and everything like what with there was one week months ago where multiple species went extinct and it was just like it's all happening so fast that like you can't really tell what's gonna happen one decade two decades three decades from now and Kesh and Kelly, is there, does that change the way that you operate in every day, knowing that maybe in the future you don't know what that looks like? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I just made the change from plastic straws to metal straws, and <laughs> I've been doing a lot more research on, what, on where the stuff that I buy from gets their kind of materials from, and trying to be like as responsible for my own actions as well. Mm-hmm. And Kesh, um, do you hear anybody talking about this around you? Any people your age? Around my age? Yeah, you know, I talk about it with my sister every now and then. And I'm, uh, what was it? But yeah, people do worry about it because, like, are we going to have kids? You know, like, what is their life going to be like? You know what I mean? If it's just like, in 10 years, everything is going to be destroyed. You know? And <laughs> how are people your age talking about it? Is it a joke or is it the, a reality or is it something we're fighting against? How, how are you all grappling with this? I think people at my school, some people are still like a little unknowledgeable about it. Some people make jokes about it. Like um, our, our school has started implementing like the recycle. They're, they're really trying to push that to the students. And I still see some people putting their trash in the wrong places in the cafeteria. And it really grinds my gears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think a lot of different people are handling it very differently. I think that that's one thing. Um, I always say this about our generation, that we're not monolithic in any way. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions about us. But I think the way that we handle issues, and particularly this one, is a really, really exemplifies that. Um, there, like, there's such a huge spectrum from people I know who are you know, trying to join these organizations that are lobbying and who are leading marches, all the way to people who are like, I have enough things to deal with right now, right here, with problems that are immediately affecting me in my life that's a 10-year problem that I'm going to think about in 10 years. Um, but I think 
for the most part, like, especially in the last few months, especially in the last year, a lot of people and a lot of teenagers have been like waking up to it. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with this idea of like, okay, what if we don't have, you know, a world to live in that that's promised as adults. And I think that that has been kind of waking us up more and more. Mm -hmm. And you just said, um, that your generation is not a monolith, which is interesting. Um, do you all feel that, um, your generation, what, how about this? What sort of stereotypes do you feel older generations or other generations have put on yours? What do they think about you? Probably over lazy, you know? Yeah, like technology obsessed, mm -hmm. always on our phones. What else? Kind of like, you know, so used to instant gratification. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one of the the most irritating things for me, um, like going back to the idea of like technology obsession and instant gratification is this idea that like we're just kind of wasting away at our, on our phones and not doing anything when in reality some of the most effective organizing and activism work that I've ever done that I've ever witnessed has been through the internet, has been through our phones. Um, my own politicization as a teen happened through the process of consuming resources online through social media that were created by other young people. So much of our education, so much of my education about issues that we're not taught about in school happens through our phones. And so I think that idea of like, oh, there they go again on their phones, lazy, you know, not paying attention to anything that matters. I think that that specific thing is what one of the stereotypes that really bothers me the most. And anybody else using the internet for good? <laughs> How else say, are you using it? Um, I would say, yeah, my, my phone is my means of obtaining, like, staying in the loop in terms of news, especially. Um, and what troubles me the most about, like, adults seeing it as a problem is, like, it's just a smaller screen than the one you watch. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> you, sit, you sit for hours and just stare at the TV, but it's, I just put it in my hand. <laughs> or we just put it in our hands. Yeah. Okay. Anybody got a rebuttal? <laughs> so um, I want y'all to think about the political parties, candidates, voter registration, um, news media. That think of that as the the political system, the traditional political system. How involved are you in the traditional political system? Um, well, for me, I am definitely not as involved as I should be. And I feel like part of the reason why that is is just because, I mean, throughout high school, I'm, like, given um, so much homework and so much classes. Like, I'm trying to get into college, and they're trying to look for volunteers, extracurricular activities, sports, presidents of ASB, president stuff. And at home, I'm stuck doing homework, so I don't really have that much time to do my own research about politics mm -hmm. and doing as much as I should be. Mm -hmm. And you're saying should? Where does that come from? Where does the um, pressure to feel like you should be involved in politics come from? Well, it's definitely, I feel like it's put on me just because in classes we hear all of these things that are happening. And, I mean, a lot of teens are starting to vote, and I feel like I should be you know, being part of that. And Nick, um, how do you feel? Are you in involved? Um, I would say no. 
Not not particularly. Um, I I don't. I'm not a registered voter. I well, I mean to be fair, I just turned 18. Um, <laughs> and yeah, like like Kelly said, we're we're coming from a time in our lives where we're hella caught up in in school activities and being prepared for college. So maybe that'll change. Um, in a few months, probably, now that all that AP tests and stuff is gone from my mind. But um, no, I'd, I've never attended like any marches, even though I've always wanted to. I, I, I find little time to read about politics, even though I like to act like I care about them. <laughs> And, and Kesh Kali, what are some, uh, thinking about the people around you, um, what are some reasons that you've seen people aren't involved, your age, aren't involved in politics? I mean, a lot, I've seen a lot of people who are just like, kind of like, you know, oh, I don't have the time for it. You know, I got to go do something else, you know. Like at, like at my, at the campuses, the college campuses I was at, there was just, you know, there was just people there like trying to get people to register to vote and everyone was like, ah. Ah, you know, I'll get you next time. I'll get you next time. You know what I mean? Is there, do you feel like there's, there might be a reason for that? Maybe it feels like, you know, it kind of feels like you have no impact. You know what I mean? And so that, like, through the whole voting system and all that, especially with, yeah, yeah, you know, it feels like you have no impact, you know? Do you and feel that way? That's how I feel. That's how I feel personally. You know what I mean? What's, uh, do you have an example of anything that you've tried to make impact with or tried to make change in that didn't go the way that you had hoped? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I didn't vote at all. You know, I, I didn't, by the time, uh, yeah, I didn't vote, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but just seeing how Trump, you know, how I, I you know how he got elected at electoral college and all that. It's like, does your vote matter if it's going to yeah. get handed off to that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's just... That's just yeah. So a little bit of distrust. Yeah. And everybody feel that? Or, or some, some of us feel that on the, on the panel. So then when it comes to engaging younger people in politics, does the responsibility rely... Where does this responsibility lie with? The young person or with the political system? I think that it lies a lot with the political system. I think the way that our political system works now, it very intentionally creates a group of people that it is like created for and people that it is not for. Um, and it kind of like, and then through that creates a group of people who, you know, consider themselves voters who are educated about the process, who know where to register to, you know, know, when you need to change your address or how often you need to update registration, who know the jargon and everything and the ins and outs of the political system. And then also very intentionally creates a much larger group of people who just are told often that voting is not for them, who are told that their vote doesn't matter and who oftentimes are gerrymandered out of having their vote have the impact that it should, who, you know, have things like the electoral college that are put into place to minimize their votes. And so I think so much of that is being broken down by our generation um, I think partially because of how accessible information is through the internet and how easily we're able to educate each other. But I think a lot of the responsibility for that does lie with the existing political system and the way that it kind of cuts certain people out of voting um, and participation in the political process. 
Thank you. And and y'all y'all agree the political system should be adapting as we with each generation. Quick brain. Sorry to put you on the spot, but quick brainstorm session. What's some what's one way that you think the political system could be could adapt to be a little easier for you to be involved? What would you like to see? Are you talking about like, oh, like registering to vote? I mean, yeah. How would you reg- how would you make registering to vote easier for you and your community? I mean, I think it's already pretty easy. You know, they're at the campus, you know. <laughs> okay, cool. And yeah. anybody have ideas on how we can make the political system a little easier for younger generations to want to be involved? Um, maybe you could, like, lower the age limit just because it does feel a little bit iffy that you're allowing kind of, like, an older generation to decide the future of younger generations. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Yeah. I, I was giving you an internal applause there. <laughs> Anybody else have ideas? Um, I think I had an idea in my head. I just forgot it. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe it'll come back to me. Okay. I mean, there's tons of requirements of courses and things you have to learn before you can graduate high school. Um, and I don't see any reason why having some kind of course about the political system, whether that's, you know, your local political system, because from city to city and state to state, things vary a lot. Um, so I think that like having mandatory courses in all public school districts in, I think, the country um, or even an entire class, if not just like a, you know, short week or two long course, because I don't, honestly don't think it would take that long um, that educates students about, you know, how to register, where to register you know, which elections happen when and what those positions do and what they mean. And there are a couple of movements actually to lower the voting age to 16 to vote um, in, you know, school board elections, for example, because those things very much directly impact students that can't vote in them. Um, All the way to, I think, Massachusetts has a pretty strong movement right now to lower the voting age, I think, for all statewide elections to 16 as well. So I think, you know, I think that's a more contentious issue than, just providing education, but I think both of those things could work really well. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what I was going to say was um, I think something that's super important are local and state elections, and there, no one really emphasizes that. Like, You don't get people that research their candidates for on that scale as much as they do for presidential elections. So you just get a ton of people that aren't involved in communities that they're like most directly a part of and I think if you get people to care more about that you could see a lot of a much like greater turnout of youth at on election days and yeah so you said you want to see more people in uh, involved in things that don't affect them no I'm in in like local and state elections yes okay yeah. got, it, got it um thank you and and Keshkoli, when we spoke earlier, um, you said that uh, you don't even think that most people know natives exist. Can you explain what you meant by that? Can you can you tell me? Does that affect your? Does that impact your relationship um, with these socio political issues? Dang, um, <laughs> is it? Um, you know, yeah, kind of, because you know, like. We even had we had a the big old what was it no DAPL protest and you know it just kind of got like swept under the 
swept under the mat, you know what I mean? And like, it's like, they, they were doing some crazy stuff out there. You know, they're like shooting people with water cannons, sicking dogs on old ladies, shooting old people and all that, you know? But then it's just like, everyone's like, ah, who cares? You know what I mean? And yeah, that's what. And how does that impact the way that you, uh, earlier you were saying people might have some distrust in the system. Does, is there a connection there with the way that you saw your community being treated um, and also how you feel about yourself being treated in the, in the political system? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, it's like, why, why even care about a government who doesn't, who doesn't care about you? You know what I mean? Yeah. So would you, be, would you all be more inclined to be involved if you saw more change happen? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Okay, interesting. Thank you. Now, on the other hand, there are some young people right in the middle of these conversations. Um, like Marie Copany, she's the 11-year-old fighting for clean water in Flint, Michigan. David Hogg is um, the survivor of the Parkland High School shooting who has gotten a lot of notoriety. Um, in March 2018, Samuel started experiencing some of this attention after speaking at the March of Our Lives protest in Oakland. Samuel, what did that pr- uh, performance in March spark for you? I think um, after that, um, after speaking at the march, after also speaking at a, a walkout that I co-led at my school, I think the attention kind of forced me to have to think about like what we were going to do next, like what tangible action could be taken after um, the march. And I think that attention both did a lot for me and also really terrified me. Um, on one hand, I was able to project my message more and, you know, gain opportunities and access and a platform um, to do more. But at the same time, it was kind of like a lot of pressure, um, you know, for a then, Jesus, I was 15, a then 15-year-old me um, to have to think about, okay, well, when's the next March? Like, what am I going to do now? And as much as I tried to do, there was kind of this sense that it wouldn't ever kind of be enough because there would always be more more issues to face, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I still definitely am grateful for it, and I think that it changed me as a person, and I think that it it did a lot, um, a lot for youth in Oakland and and the way that that we're viewed. So you feel a lot of pressure to, and and is the pressure specifically? Because um, you were saying on the when we talked earlier, it was a little also as a student, you felt a lot of pressure to look good when you're doing all of this work. And then there's pressure on the work to continue the work. Um, so you're feeling both sides of that pressure. Kelly, you said you're feeling pressure as a student. Do you two feel pressure as students, as young people? Where, where's your pressures coming from? Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. Kesha, <laughs> Kesha, Nick. Oh, you know, one is like that insane rent out there, <laughs> you know? um, it's really hard to like you know focus on political stuff you know school and have to like work on paying your rent you know because especially with how high it is Mm -hmm. yeah you mind repeating the question (laughs) (laughs) are you uh, everyone's everyone's talking about the different pressures that they're feeling in their lives where's your pressure coming from um honestly probably myself um i recognize that i'd I'm fortunate enough to not have as many external pressures, at least right now, as a lot of other people. 
um, and I'm super grateful for that. But um, I know it might sound corny, but it's like the social media effect. Yeah, I see all these young people doing super good, and I want to be a musician. And <laughs> you see people like Steve Lacey, who's 21. You see people, uh, Lil Pump, who's what, like 17, 18, and they're they're rich and they're famous. And you know, I I have to worry about school and college and you know <laughs> I know my parents want me to go to college um all the while while trying to you know work my way up to their level and it's hard it's tough just life mm. yeah you started nodding your head right when you said social media pressure <laughs> what was that yeah I think um Definitely what you're saying about like a lot of young, very wealthy and very famous people. I mean, 16 year old Billie Eilish, number one Billboard album. Like it, it kind of makes you think. And, and I think this has I think young people have been doing incredible outsized, amazing things and having careers from a young age for a very long time. I mean, Destiny's Child came out when Beyonce was 15. My 15th birthday came and went and I was kind of sitting thinking like, <laughs> like miss, I'm a wash up. I was like, miss the deadline. Like I, um, but I think the fact that we, we have social media now and, and that I think kind of intensifies that feeling of like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? Um, and you really catch yourself like minimizing all of, I think, the very important and large accomplishments in your own life just because other people have like quote unquote a bigger one. Um, and I think that with that comes kind of this like constant competition of like who can build the most beautiful online image. Um, and you know, no one's online image perfectly reflects what their life looks like and how their life is. Um, but I think we all get very caught up in that. Um, and it kind of becomes this very stressful competition, um, and there's a lot of like comparing yourself to to those like mega star people, yeah. Kelly, do you feel affected by that? How do you avoid it? Um, by the pressures of social media, and avoiding that pressure. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just don't go on social media. There you go. Yeah. Is it working? It is. Okay. <laughs> Now, I like what you were saying about minimizing the work that we do do, um, because Nick is actually, uh, was an art, he's, you're an artist as well, um, and he was part of the KQED's take, uh, youth takeover last year, and you wrote the poem Iron and Clay, Grappling with My Biracial Heritage, which is on KQED, you can listen to it. Um, what did it feel, first off, congratulations on that, that's an accomplishment. Thank you. <laughs> And what did it feel like to hear your words, hear your own voice, and see your work on KQED's platform? Um, you know, I, I recorded that like by myself in my bedroom at 8 p.m. one night. So hearing it, I'd heard it over and over again, just listening and deciding like how much I hated that take. <laughs> um, but as far as being on the radio, you know, it it's a I feel like I feel like it's a smaller accomplishment than it is because not many people get to say that. And I remember it was second period auto class, like last month, my friends and I were just sitting <laughs> at the start of the period and just waiting for it to come on. And he'd be next to me and he would, he'd be saying, it's not on yet. It's not on yet. And he'd be like, they're talking about the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> 
just wait. <laughs> and it finally came on, and it was super gratifying. But at the same time, writing that and knowing that it was going to go public was super hard because, you know, that's, that's a side I never really disclosed to my parents, like being uncomfortable in my own skin ever at any point in my life. Um, and I do say some pretty strange things about my grandmother there that uh, I know she would not like to hear. Um, and we still have yet to show her that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so where, where do you go to talk about, if you feel you want to have a conversation about your identity, want to have a conversation about your race, where do you go? Um, there's only a select few people in my life that I could talk to about, you know, myself and Believe it or not, even now in Daly City, it's kind of hard to find someone that's not just Filipino or just Chinese or just Latino. Um, so really, the only people that could actually relate to me are, one, my sister, and then I got my friend Donovan Chapman right there in the audience. He's also Filipino and white, and we we have a lot of conversations that I've only ever been able to have about like with him mm-hmm. and yeah it's super comforting just knowing that there's other people that go through these like little unique things that I experience nice. where where uh Kesh and Kelly where do you go to connect with um people that you identify with whatever that means um well I I volunteer at the Laguna Honda Rehab Center um I just basically hang out with Chinese people, <laughs> elderly Chinese people, and they teach me a lot about like culture and just like how like what it was like for them to kind of migrate here to the US. And it teaches me about my parents' struggles a little bit. And yes. Mm, nice. Thank you. Cash. Oh, you know, yeah. Um people are, can you repeat a question? Where where do you go to connect with people that you identify with? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I work at the uh, IFH. <laughs> you know, that's just filled with, it's like a big old native community center. So, you know, I get to see all my people there. It's like all of us bunched into one little spot. So I go there, yeah. you know. Now, uh, so I was um, brainstorming some questions for this, this conversation, and I asked my dad what he would like to, um, t- what he'd be interested to know. And he was interested to hear that, um, to, to ask, does it feel that you you have one world, the young world, where you, you talk with people on the internet, you communicate in a certain way, and then you go to the other side of your life and you talk with older uh, older generations? Um, does it feel how big does that gap feel, and is it frustrating if there is that gap to have to switch? Um, I don't feel like it's that frustrating. I feel like. The way you talk to your friends is a lot different than when you talk to you, like your boss. You know, some things just aren't appropriate to talk to, like in a professional sense. And I feel like that's okay. So it's easy for you. Um, a little bit. Okay. I like your cautious uh, confidence. <laughs> a little bit. Got it. How how does everybody else feel? Do you feel like there's a little bit of a divide between? Is there an us and them? I don't know if it as much feels like there's an us and them. I think um, one thing that is really common among our generation is how how easily we're able to code switch. Um, and 
whether and then that that doesn't necessarily have Can to you be explain what code switching is. Oh, yeah. Um, so most of the time that I've heard it, at least it's been used in the context of um, like racial communities. So, for example, if you're speaking um, African-American vernacular English with your friends versus, um, you know, what what is commonly considered proper English with your teacher, like having to do that transition between, you know, class and lunch, for example, that would be considered like code switching. Um, and so I think that our generation is constantly code switching between the way that we talk on the internet, between the way that we talk in person with our friends, between the way that we talk to our teachers, our bosses, our parents. Um, and I think we do it so much that it comes naturally, at least it, it kind of does for me. Um, I, I don't really know why that is. I think that's because we spend so much time transitioning between our phones and, and the real world. I think that, that has to do with it. Okay, got it. Thank you. Kesh, do you have anything to add or Nick? Oh, you got it. Okay. <laughs> this is an audience question. How have your family and community, specifically adults, cultivated and supported slash challenged slash encouraged your activism? Anybody that feels they want to answer that one? Anyway, I can I can jump to the next one if we don't have an answer. Well, I it's not really like the question because um, well, coming from like an immigrant family, they don't really care about politics that much. They're not really aware of um, things that are happening around the world just because they don't really speak English. So I feel like I they really haven't done much mm-hmm. in terms of motivating me to be act, more active. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the biggest thing that my mom, both of my parents are also immigrants. Um, my parents immigrated from Ethiopia. And I think the biggest thing that my mom especially did for me from a very young age was she always told me, like, just because somebody older than you told you to do something, don't do it if you don't know why. Always ask why. Mm. Um, and I think that, that that's very untraditional, even in the context of, like, Ethiopian households and got me into a lot of trouble when we would go back and visit and you know my older cousins would tell me to do something and I'd just be like why and they would look at me like I was insane um and it even you know like caused problems with relatives that we had here just because it was so untraditional um in that setting but I think that that influenced who I would become as a person um really greatly like from a young age all of my teachers would always you know kind of tell me that my mouth would get me into trouble one day or that I was challenging their authority. And for me, it always kind of blew my mind because it was just what my mom told me to do was ask why. I genuinely had no idea why I was being told to do certain things. So I would ask why. Um, And I think that that idea of like questioning all authority um, did a lot for me in terms of, of the work that I would later do. Nice. Thank you. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for one of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now, back to our program. Now, another audience question. Um, What living person do you admire and why? I'm going to ask this one for Nick and Kesh. Just one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, probably, probably, um. Or is there anybody in your local community in, in, in the Bay area 
that you look up to? This requires a lot of thinking. Okay. <laughs> um, Kesh, if you have an answer, let me know. Otherwise, I'll, I'll give you more time to think about it. Oh, yeah. You know, just one person is, in particular is, you know, my, uh, my boss. <laughs> she's kind of like, she's been super helpful. She's super helpful. You know, her name is uh, Carol Wagpa. You know, she's just been, she helped me get here tonight. You know, she's the one who put me in contact with all of this. So that's someone I admire. Also, my grandparents. You know, basically my whole family. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, because they kind of, you know, made me who to, who I am today and all that. Nice. I, don't, I don't know who else I admire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I can't give, like, a person like that off the top, which is kind of upsetting. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to think so hard about this question. Um, so I've said that I've, I'm a musician, so I guess I could give D'Angelo as an example. <laughs> He's still alive, um, and he makes beautiful music, and I would like to as well. But as far as, like, as a person, um, I kind of, I'm trying to blaze my own trail, I guess. I don't really look towards anybody else, at least right now. Kelly, um, from your educational experience, what's something you wish you could change or improve on? Um, I definitely wish I took more time to be social, social with my friends just because I spent so much time like working to get that perfect SAT score that I kind of like dropped some of my friends. So I do wish I, I made more experiences in high school. So let's flip that question. Oh, no. At Berkeley, what are you going to work on? Oh, God. <laughs> no, Not maybe, failing my okay. classes, probably. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Y- you'll do that. I know that you'll be able to do that one. So now this is um, a pretty broad question, um, and this is we're not thinking specifically politics, but what is taking up the majority of your brain power? Where and and it's okay if we we could think. Let's think about the last 2019. Let's think about 2019. Where's what has your brain been focusing on? And you can we can just say some things that you've you've been putting brain power to. Hopefully something. I think for me, it actually had a lot to do with what Kelly was talking about and the idea of like balancing your social life with work and school and everything. Um, and I think I'm, you know, coming towards the end of my high school career. I just finished my junior year in high school. And especially in like the second semester, I was kind of thinking like after this we have, and especially because um, a lot of my friends are seniors, a lot of them are grad- just graduated and this past year was kind of a lot of us like freezing at random moments, looking at each other and thinking, Oh my God, you're about to leave me. Um, and like this idea of, of like running out of time. Um, and I'm a really like sentimental person. It's kind of one of the things that irritates me about myself, but like, I, I'm very big on like the whole, you only live once thing and like making sure to make enough memories and not having regrets. Um, and so kind of like being like, oh my God, how do I balance not wanting to regret not having done certain things in high school with, you know, making sure that I have a future that I'm happy with and that I'm proud of and, and kind of like what consumed a lot of my brain power was like 
missing a lot of things because I was thinking so much about not wanting to regret things and kind of going to this like cycle of like spending too much time trying to budget everything and, and make sure that I don't regret anything to the point where I'm missing things and then regretting that I miss them. Um, and that, that I think has been consuming a lot of my brain power. Okay. Sounds like there's a lot going up on up there. (laughs) Kelly, what's taking up your brain? Oh God, there's so many stuff. Yeah. Well, I just graduated yesterday, and right now I'm just thinking about all of my friends yeah. and how much I'm going to miss them. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. hard time. Oh, it's a but I'm really thing. excited for summer. Congrats. That's <laughs> awesome. Congrats, <laughs> Kelly. That's, you deserve it. Kesh, what's, what's been, in 2019, what's been taking up your brain power? In 2019? Probably I'm a... <laughs> I have a lot, you know, just a lot of irrational fears, like, oh, you know, what if... What if what what if, you know, you get hit by a car? What if someone comes up behind you and stabs you in the neck? You know, for, so for some reason, I always think, like, how to prepare for that. Oh, okay. So, and it's, it's a real, yeah. it's a real downer, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and uh, takes up a lot of my brain power. Mm. That's one thing off the top of my head. I can, yeah, thanks for like, sharing. Um, me, it's probably all year I've been trying to find the power within myself to focus and be motivated again. I feel like what with all like the responsibility just due to where I am in life right now, I've become so caught up in just doing things that it's it's so hard for me to like read about something I want to learn and like it's taken me so long to to try to catch up to my friends in, in music and it's upsetting. Like it's so much easier to just go lay down somewhere, pick up a phone and just scroll or like just sit down eat do nothing than to do something that I care about and it's kind of sad because I remember like two years ago when I was younger I'm still young (laughs) um it was just so easy to like say I want to exercise and I just go but now it's like I want to exercise and then you just don't (laughs) like it's frustrating and I know it's not a unique experience I have so many friends that experience the Mm -hmm. same thing I don't know what it is I don't know if it's phones just like wrecking our attention spans or something but yeah I've I've multiple times out of frustration I've like deleted all my social media and then something pulls me back in and I'm like whoa I might be addicted and I'll delete it again it's like it's like a cycle and it's 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 hard to get out of but I feel like it's necessary. Mm-hmm. You that laughter means it's not just you. It means <laughs> there's other people too. I feel like we're in that boat. Um, now I'd love to hear one or two people answer this question. How, uh, this is from the audience. How are you investing in yourself? How can you inspire others to invest in themselves? Are y'all investing in yourselves? <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> let's 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 break it down first. Anything that you do to take care of yourself. What do you make sure to do so that you can go get to tomorrow? You, you know, that kind of takes it back to his what he was saying. You know what I mean? And I was thinking like how, you know, what I was I'm sorry. Um how you're talking about that the vicious cycle, yeah. like just looking at your phone and just being like, mm-hmm. you know, being caught up in that. It's like you just get stuck in that. You don't really work on yourself at all. You know, you just get kind of stuck in a loop going on and on and on and on. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. Samuel? One thing that I did in this past year that I'm, well, past school year that I'm actually really like proud of myself for having done is like just like made it a habit to force myself to go to the gym every day and like spend like however much time I can I can squeeze in like 30 minutes to an hour just like phone off I can have my music that's it and just you know I don't work out with other people just like have that time for myself um and I think more so than like the exercise part of it it's it's mostly because um I'm so busy all the time and I'm always like cutting into certain things to make room for more work. Like whether I'm, you know, with my friends and like I had plans, you know, these plans for like a week with my friends to like go to a barbecue all day. And, you know, all of a sudden the day before I get an email and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can take a conference call for 30 minutes in between that. And like, just like I always do that and like cut into, you know, certain things that were meant to be, you know, time for myself to enjoy myself with work. And so I, I found that like the gym is the one place where I will not allow anybody to text me, to call me, to talk to me about anything. Um, and just like having that time for myself, I think that that's one way that, that I've been able to, to make sure that I can, you know, be sustainable for myself. And I think that everybody should have something like mm-hmm. that. It doesn't have to be, you know, exercise, just like some thing that you do for yourself every day that is just for yourself that you do not compromise mm-hmm. um, I think that that's something that everybody should have cool totally agree definitely agree I love this um, this audience question let's say all the roadblocks dissolved away the high rent um, lack of mentorship lack of resources etc um, all your basic hierarchical needs are met what would you do then <sighs> getting excited just thinking about it right <laughs> What would you do, Cash? Oh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm simple. You know, I just get an RV, and I'd go out to the desert, and I'd probably just look at the, try and track down aliens. <laughs> simple man. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Anybody else? What would you do? All your challenge, all the challenges you're up against disappeared. Do we have like an unlimited source of income? Sure. <laughs> wow, that. So for you, Kelly, yes. <gasps> hmm. I'm going to have to think. There's so many possibilities. How about that? What's the first thing that you would really want to do? Um, well, ever since I was a little kid, I always wanted to like build some schools in some third world countries. I think that would be probably what I would do with my, my money. All right. Yeah. I was going to build some schools. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now, um, a lot of pe- a lot of these questions um, are asking about the political uh, political education, um, and I, I can't read through a lot of these, but I want to make sure we talk a little bit about that. Um, but essentially, I think a lot of these questions are getting at: Are you learning what you need to learn? <laughs> Sorry, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> All right, we people are here to listen. I do not think we are at all um and i complain about this all the time my mom's so sick of hearing it um and i mean i just to a certain degree like it is situations that i put myself in with taking certain classes that i'm not necessarily required to take but at the same time the reason that we end up in those classes a lot of the time for me and my friends and my peers is because we're told you're not going to get into college without this course on your transcript and so you know here i am trying to find 
the integral of a function and I'm thinking, when am I ever going to use this if I don't become a mathematician or a calculus teacher? And I just like realize how many hours I spend learning information that while it might be interesting, I will probably never, ever, ever need to use. Um, and I think we, we even just like with basic graduation requirements, learn so much information that doesn't apply to us or that we're never going to need to use. And at the same time, there's so many things that we actually need to learn to be basic functioning American citizens. And like, even if that's just like learning how to file taxes, like this past year I had to file taxes for the first time. I gave my dad all of my checks and I said, you do it because I don't have time. And he did it. But I was just thinking like, you can go to jail for tax evasion. You can literally go to jail for not knowing how to do something that you're not taught. Yeah. Mm? Like, how does that make sense? But at the same time, you can't graduate high school without learning algebra. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Um, and you know, that's just at, at a basic level of, you know, avoiding jail time. Like there, I mean, yeah, like you can, whether or not you should, you can go your whole life without ever voting. And that's not something that you will be punished for. But at the same time, there shouldn't be a reason in a society that prides itself on being a democracy where we do not have voter education in schools. And the, you know, there should be no reason for for us to not learn so many of the things that you know on a more basic level keep us you know out of jail but at a higher level you know teach us to be useful and functioning and contributing members to society and at the same time we're forced to learn so many things that i think are mm. at you know worst useless and at best mildly interesting <laughs> checkmate <laughs> nick <laughs> Nick, you're you're nodding your head. You totally um, agree. What yeah. do you wish you were taught? Um. Oh God, I, that's a different question. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I never learned how to do my taxes. Uh, my dad did most of mine mm-hmm. this year. Um. So that's one of the things. But I'd just like to agree with Samuel further and say that. Yeah, being competitive in school and just like meeting graduation requirements takes away so much time that we could otherwise be using to learn things that are like necessary to be a functioning American. And something that always strikes me is that a lot of the like smartest kids at my school, like five plus AP periods, (laughs) salutatorian, like they're the least intelligent. They have the least like worldly knowledge of a lot of the people I encounter and I, I, it just makes me think like wow if you were ever just like thrown out there you would sink <laughs> and it's it's upsetting that we have such like we're pushed so so hard to try to be on top just to go to college <laughs> and be competitive in a in a career search that and like after your first job that where you went means not that much. And actually this is a good time to ask both Kelly and Nick, you're, you just graduated. How are you feeling? It still hasn't really hit me yet. I feel like I'm still going to go back to class tomorrow and see my friends, Mm. but I don't know how I feel about it. I'm super excited just to kind of get my own independence because I'll be dorming Mm -hmm. and 
it's kind of scary because I'm going to have to start doing taxes. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. <sighs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so it, it's mostly excited, a little nervous. Yeah. Okay. And for you, Nick? Um, I feel lost and I feel terrified. Yeah. Um, I guess my pride is hurt that I'm in college and... Well, I mean, no, it shouldn't be. But I'm in college and I still live in my parents' home. For some reason, that makes me feel bad, even though it's, like, completely normal. Um, and it's just now I feel like there's so much less structure. I'm just, it's kind of a lot. My life is more, way more self-conducted than it ever was. And it's, it's, it's kind of weird finding direction because there's so many places I could go as a first-year college student. At a community college, I have all that free time, and it's kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, I, t- I could totally understand. I've been there. Um, so, n- this next question, I'd love everybody to answer if possible. Um, what's something you wish older generations understood? Whoever wants to start. I think one thing that I think older generations should understand is that, you know, it's not time to give up just because you see something that inspires you. I think oftentimes after events like these or after marches or protests that are led by youth or after really anything um, major that young people do, a lot of the message from older people is, oh, well, you guys are going to save the world, so we we don't need to do anything. Um, and the amount of times that I hear that... Um, whether it's addressed directly to me or whether it's on Twitter, because you'd be surprised how many older people use Twitter, um, <laughs> and say some pretty disturbing things. But just like that is one of, and I, I know that that comes from a place of good intentions, and I know that nobody's saying that you know maliciously, but I think that it, it gives people a really easy out um, to avoid all responsibility. Um, and it's this kind of idea of like, oh, well, I, you know, I came to this panel. I listened to you speak. My job is done. Yeah. Um, when in reality, like what we are trying to agitate for so much of the time is please do something, not please wait for us to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's one thing that I really wish that older generations understood. Cool. Thank you. Anybody else have anything? Um, I think something that a lot of older folks need to know is that like there's not one way specifically for any person to be like based on their sex or just who they are color you know um and it's super cool seeing like young people try to talk about that more tyler the creator if you (laughs) guys listen to his music he has a lyric that's like dye your hair blue, I'll do it too, or something like that in one of his songs. And it's weird, but like you can, and no one should stop you. One one thing that's always affected me is how a lot of the older people in my life, I'm not gonna say any names, like <laughs> have have disagreed with so much of what I like what I like. Cause I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you shouldn't like yuck my young. Um <laughs> My mom, before I came here, she was like, why are you wearing that jacket? It looks weird. I don't care. Like, maybe I will regret it. But, you know, <laughs> it, makes, it, makes me feel, <laughs> it makes me feel so much worse if, like, 
you're my grandma and you're, you're looking at me and you're calling me Buckla <laughs> just because of how my hair is. And like, or that means gay, by the way, if you don't know. Mm. Um, or like that you think I dress weird because mm. a lot of people dress weird and you just don't see it. And that's totally fine. Individualism is something that should thrive. Mm. And yeah, yeah. Word. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that. Kelly and Kesh, do you have anything? Um, well, I feel like um, from my family, older generations are a little bit reluctant to change, especially like the older, older, just because they grew up with such strict structure that when they see today's society and how it's like working, they get a little bit scared, a little like just because everything's so like free. Mm -hmm. And I wish they kind of knew that, hey, change is okay. It's good. <laughs> All right. <Yeah. laughs> Thank you. Kesh, do you have anything you wish older generations understood? I mean, you know, like from my family or like from like just like everybody? Whichever uh, question you feel you have a better or a stronger answer to. Probably in like my family is just like seeing a whole lot of, uh, you know, like handing off the uh, like the tablets you know, I, I just think that's kind of like, it kind of wrecks the kid, kind of, you know, because it's kind of like you're not spending quality time with him or nothing like that. You know, you're just kind of handing that off to him. And, you know, I see, I see that just, that's just kind of how, but at the same time, they do that because, you know, it's like you have to do so many stuff today, you know, you, it's kind of like an easy way out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's funny you mentioned that because Samuel mentioned that backstage. I don't think you were in the room and said the same thing. And it makes me think, are you all more media literate and um, more um, tech savvy than most of the older people in your lives? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's that dynamic? What is uh, what sort the older the people in your lives, the older people in your lives? What how what's their relationship with technology, social media, the online world? Um, I feel just because they're, like, new to it, they always ask me for help on how to use, like, Google Maps. And, I mean, I feel... I mean, I'm lucky to have them. I'm not, like, really... I don't really care if they do ask me for help. But then what really irks me is when... Well, my parents use WeChat as a way of communication, and on that site, you can send each other like links to news articles. And just the other day, my mother sent me a picture of like a really photoshopped giant turtle. And the wall was really bent. And she told me, hey, look at this turtle. Isn't that amazing? And I had to tell her, mom, the wall is bent. It's, it's not real. Yeah. And it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Samuel, anything to add to that? I mean, I think, I think that that's a really common phenomenon of, of older generations not really knowing how to spot fake things on the internet. I think that that was a really big issue with you know Facebook and misinformation in the 2016 election. I think that that's going to continue to be a problem um, as long as you know these massive tech and software companies aren't being responsible about um, the information that they allow on their sites. But I think... Technology has been a blessing in a lot of ways in my family. Um, almost my entire family um, lives in Ethiopia still. And 
you know, people have been immigrating for to America as long as America has existed and before that. And, you know, I can't say that any other generation has been able to to video chat with their grandmother who's, you know, two continents in an ocean away. Um, and I think that having that kind of easy contact has been has been really nice. I think that it's really interesting to watch the way that tech trends hit here versus hit there. Um, a couple of years ago when we went to Ethiopia, it was really interesting for me to see how all of my like cousins who are around my age were using Facebook the way that we use Instagram here. And like, mm-hmm. you know, here it's like almost guaranteed every teenager has an Instagram. You walk up to somebody, you don't say, do you have an Instagram? You ask for their Instagram, you know? And it was kind of the same thing there, but with Facebook. And I thought that that was interesting how that like kind of hit Ethiopia a little later than it hit here. Um, but I think that that has, you know, more to do with geography and socioeconomic issues than mm-hmm. it does with generational differences. But I think both of my parents, you know, have smartphones. They know how to use them. I trust that they don't believe everything they read on the internet, so I'm fortunate in that <laughs> way. Yeah, we've come to this interesting time where the kids are saying, don't believe everything you see on the internet. It used to be the other way around. Unfortunately, we've reached the end of our program. I would like to thank our panelists, Samuel Getacho, junior at Oakland Technical High School. <laughs> Kelly Huang, senior, or sorry, recent graduate at Abraham Lincoln High School in San Francisco. Keshkoli Atakai Perez just finished the second year um, at Laney College in Oakland. And Nicholas Brandon Soriano Smith, recent graduate at Westmore High School in Daly City. This program has been supported by the Bay Area Leads Fund and is part of the San Francisco Foundation series on people, place, and power, addressing access and equity in the Bay Area. This program is presented in association with KQED. We also thank our audiences here and on radio, television, and the internet. We want to remind everyone that there will be a reception immediately following the program outside this room. I am Senite Haile Mariam, and now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California, the place where you're in the know, is adjourned. <laughs>